Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. That was a visual rendition of John uh, chapter 11, uh, which the sermon is on today. A friendly reminder that Jesus was not European, though. Um, He was a Middle Eastern Jew, of course. Earlier this year, a teacher gave a riddle to his first grade class. He gave them a puzzle of the week. He wrote it on the board, and here is the picture. It said this, I am the beginning of everything, the end of everywhere. I'm the beginning of eternity, the end of space and time. What am I? Well, what do you think? What would you say if your teacher gave you that riddle? This teacher said that the first guess from one of his first grade students was death. And such an odd, somber, reflective hush fell over the whole class that he didn't want to tell them that actually the answer is the letter E, which just seems so obvious and boring in that moment. Is death the beginning of everything? Is it the end of space and time? Is death the all-encompassing reality in which we live? When you put it that way, the letter E really is a nicer answer. (laughs) The gospel proclaims that the beginning and end of everything is the Lord our God and his intention for creation, his intention for us is life. Jesus comes to us as resurrection and life so that we may live with faith and without fear, even as we face death. Now, make no mistake, death is real. It's, it's universal. It's unavoidable. We won't survive death. There is no cure for death. No one of us is going to get out of life alive. We know this to be true, but we like to pretend it isn't. Uh, Sometimes I think to myself, uh, well, maybe I'll be the exception. We come up, uh, death is such a a fearsome thing. It's so full of pain and sadness that we try not to think of it. We do this all the time. We might not even realize it. So I thought, how do I do that? And I thought, um, well, I'm always anxious about time. I never think I have enough time. And I'd like to think it's because I have so many important things to do. I can't possibly do everything. I'm always in a rush. I'm always feeling urgent. But isn't it really that deep down I know my days are numbered? That my time is limited? Is there some fear that I have that if I don't do something really significant with the limited time that I have, that I'll be forgotten in the silence of the grave? I mean... 
another way we sort of avoid death or, or try to distance ourselves from it is by not talking about it. It's almost embarrassing to use the word death or dying. We prefer uh, other things. We talk about people passing away or moving on or going home or being with the Lord. Death, dying, just feels so final. It feels so stark. So we try to maintain this illusion uh, that um, we won't face death. But then someone you love dies, and the illusion is just shattered. Oh, how painful it is when we lose people that we love. How much sorrow and sadness there is when people we love die. One of the saddest moments of my life was when my mother died. It was seven months ago and nine days. I stayed by her side the last four days of her life. I heard her final breaths. I held her hand until it became cold, and I just cried, and I cried, and I cried. And everyone's experience of losing someone they love is is different. Um, Perhaps you've lost a mother or father, or a son or daughter, a husband or wife, grandparents, siblings, friends. Memory becomes painful because someone once so full of wonder and delight and love is gone, absent. You start dreading to think about the future because it's a future that that person is not part of. The word for the sadness that we carry over the death of people we love is bereavement, to be bereaved. It means to have something ripped away from you, stolen from you, torn away from you. Death is painful. We know that. There's such sadness in it. What we discover this morning is that death pains God, too. Death pains God, too. In Jesus Christ, God is among the mourners. God grieves graveside. God shares human sorrow and sadness. How do we know this? It's by reading the Bible. Um, If you would, open, open your Bibles to John chapter 11, which is page 897 in the Bible underneath your seat. Uh, While you're getting there, I'll just mention that the best minds in the world never imagined that God would share human sorrow like this. They thought part of God's perfection was his freedom from suffering. And we read scripture and we see Jesus weeping at the friend, at the grave of his friend Lazarus. Uh, You just can't make this up. We need to learn who God is by looking at scripture. The first thing to notice here is how much Jesus loves Lazarus. 
In verse 11, Jesus calls Lazarus our friend. Um, in verse 3, uh, Lazarus' sisters send word to Jesus, and all they say is, Lord, the one who you love is ill. They don't even name Lazarus. They call him the one Jesus loves, and Jesus, they know Jesus will make the connection to Lazarus. But before Jesus goes to see his friend Lazarus, who he loves, Lazarus dies. When Jesus gets to the place that he died, he speaks to Lazarus' sister Mary. He has no no words. He only has tears. In verse 35, it says, Jesus wept. And people standing by saw Jesus' tears and said, See how he loved him. The thing that you need to remember about Jesus when you read the Gospel of John is he's the very presence of God among us. He reveals to us the truth about God and the truth about humanity. And that means when we see Jesus weep, we see God's tears In Jesus, God weeps with us. You are not alone in your sorrow, your sadness, your weeping. God is with you, even in tears, suffering, and sadness. Now, some of you might have a question. You might wonder, why Jesus didn't heal Lazarus? Why didn't Jesus prevent his death if it would have grieved him so much? I mean, Jesus healed other people. The second sign of Jesus was healing the child of a royal official who was on the verge of death, and Jesus did that from a distance. That was a complete stranger. Why didn't Jesus heal his closest friend, Lazarus? And actually, Mary and Martha ask Jesus about this to his face. They say, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Why did Jesus allow Lazarus to die? Why didn't Jesus heal Lazarus from his sickness? Why wasn't Jesus there for his friend? The questions become more personal. Why didn't Jesus heal the person I loved so dearly? Why didn't Jesus answer my heartfelt, faith-filled, tearful prayers for the healing of the person I love from cancer, from ALS, from violent physical trauma. Why didn't God prevent his death, her death? In our pain, sometimes uh, we think that God is just all power. God is a, we think that God is like a, a doctor that's indifferent to our suffering. If only God would lift a fi- finger, 
our loved one would be well, but it's like God can't be bothered. But that's not what God is like. God is not an indifferent doctor. God is Jesus, weeping at the grave of his friend Lazarus, weeping with us. It's not out of God's lack of love for you or your loved one. Jesus shows us that even for God, death precedes resurrection. Even for God, sadness precedes joy. God is bereaved with us before God is the healer. Why? Why does Jesus weep? Why does Jesus grieve when he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead? Shouldn't he just get on with it? I think it's because death is always wrong. It's always theft. It's always deprivation. And again, this is why the death of someone we love is called bereavement. It's like their life is just torn away from you, stolen from you. And that's why Jesus not only wept at the grave of Lazarus, he was troubled, furious, and angry. Look at the text again. Look at verse 33. When Jesus sees Mary weeping, it says, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Or again, when he comes to Lazarus' tomb, we're told Jesus was deeply moved again. Then you wonder, well, what does deeply moved mean? And if you're using the ESV, the Blue Bible, and you look at the footnote, you'll see that another way to translate the word in Greek is indignation, fury, anger, rage. And that seems to me a better translation. It seems to me that Jesus is enraged at the death of his friend. God's anger is directed against death. Scripture portrays death as an enemy of God. And Paul tells us death is the last enemy that God will defeat. There's a book I have called Raging with Compassion. I love that title. Raging with Compassion. Jesus is raging with compassion in the face of his friend's death. Tears, anger, and trouble go together where death is because it's so contrary to God's life. God does not take pleasure in death. God wants life for us, life for creation. Death is God's enemy, and Jesus Christ rages against it. So death is our enemy, it's powerful, it's inescapable, it's painful. And, and while there's some consolation and comfort in God being with us in grief, we might wonder if, if death still has the last word. After all, even Jesus' closest friend died. So what do we do with that? What, what do we make of that? Should we fear? Should we despair? No, 
friends, we shouldn't. Because at the graveside, Jesus reveals himself to us as resurrection and as life. Jesus tells Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live, even though they die. Resurrection is God's power to give life in the face of death. It's God's refutation of death. It's proof that God's love really is stronger than death. And this means death does not have the last word, not over the past and not over the future. God has the last word, and that word is resurrection. God undoes death for our salvation. We Christians are used to talking about being saved from sin, and it's true that we are, and we get that in Paul. In the Gospel of John, salvation is about life. Salvation is salvation from death. This is why John's Gospel is so focused on life. It talks very little about sin. Salvation is life. Here's some examples. Salvation is being reborn, becoming children of God, uh, tasting the bread of life that nourishes us forever, hearing Jesus say to us, I came so that they could have life, indeed, so that they could live life to the fullest. Or what does John 3.16 say? You know this verse, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not die, but have eternal life. Salvation is about life. Life from God, even in the face of death, the life of God that comes to us through Jesus. Resurrection is the name of God's power to bring life even in the face of death. That is our hope, friends. There's a theologian uh, named Todd Billings who was diagnosed with incurable cancer in 2012. And he started writing about death and dying in the Christian faith. He told a story about how he was sitting with one of his friends who was in his 70s who had been diagnosed with an incurable degenerative illness and who was dying. And they're sitting together talking about the past and and looking at the beauty of a bird in his yard and talking about the delight and wonder of knowing Jesus Christ and Scripture and praying together. And his friend um, had recently entered end-of-life care Um, He had been to the hospital multiple times, and he said the treatment was just too much for his body. It was too painful for him. So he said to Todd, "Um, I've given up fighting, but I haven't given up hope. That's resurrection faith. I've given up fighting, but I haven't given up hope. 
because Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life, we can trust him even as we face death, even as we face our own deaths. We don't have to give up hope. Jesus does not only say, I am the resurrection. He also says, I am the life. Jesus promises the life of God in the present. Eternal life. Eternal life doesn't just mean unending life. Unending life might be a really miserable thing if it's not also redeemed life. Eternal life isn't just about a quantity or duration of life. Eternal life is a quality of life. It's the life of God. It's, it's a fullness of love and joy and trust and humility, the things that make us feel most fully alive with each other. And eternal life is not something we just wait for until after we die. Eternal life is something that God gives us now in Jesus Christ. As Jesus says, whoever believes in me will live even though they die. There's a pastor uh, who I respect and who I've learned a lot from, and he told this story in one of his sermons. He was talking to a friend who teaches at a boarding school. And that friend told him how a 14-year-old boy was dying of cancer. It was dominating the whole life of the school. It was testing everyone's faith to the limit. The pastor asked him some simple, direct questions. Does the boy have any friends? Oh, yes, said his friend. He's found out who his true friends are, and he's made some of the deepest friendships I've ever seen between teenage boys. How are the boy's parents? You know, it's, it's wonderful how the whole community has embraced them like an extended family. They'll often turn up during the week unannounced and stay over. Does the boy have faith? You know, he wasn't one of the especially religious ones, but I've often been with him and given him the sacrament and kept silence and held his hand, and there's just an incredible feeling in that room. Well, I guess this must have been your worst semester in teaching. Well, you know... In a way, it's been one of the best because there's a meaning and purpose about the whole school that I've never seen before. It almost feels like a transfiguration. And then the pastor took a risk and, and said, what you're describing doesn't sound like hell. It sounds like the kingdom of God. This boy isn't being healed, but he sure is bringing salvation. That is the kind of life that Jesus Christ is talking about. Eternal life now.
life that cannot be extinguished even by death. I've seen that kind of life here. There's nothing like the promise of Jesus, friends. I am the resurrection and the life. That's what Jesus Christ is for us. Past, present, future, always. Resurrection, life, Jesus. This church bears witness to that Jesus. And Jesus Christ shows that he is the resurrection and the life by raising Lazarus from the dead. Four days Lazarus was in the tomb, and Jesus raises him. The raising of Lazarus is called a sign. It's one of Jesus' signs. It shows us something about who Jesus is for us. And it shows us this, that Jesus gives us this kind of life by giving his life for us. Jesus gives us life by giving his life for us. It's the eternal life of God, life that redeems our past, a life that secures our future, an eternal life that we hold in the present. That life comes at a cost. God has given us everything to give us life. When Jesus talks about his death in the Gospel of John, uh, he talks about how it brings life. He uses metaphors from the world. A grain of wheat must fall to the ground and die in order to bear much fruit. Or again, in, in the 16th chapter of John, Jesus tells his disciples that a woman must go through the agony of labor to bring new life into the world. And that suggests that the cross is like the labor of God that brings new life. There's a great mystery here, but it's a mystery that we can enter into and enjoy. Jesus died, and by dying, opened a way of life for us, for those we love. In verse 4, Jesus tells his disciples that Lazarus is sick and dying, but that it would lead to the glorification of the Son of God. And at that moment, we might um, make the mistake of thinking that Lazarus' death was for God's glory. That's not what's going on. In the Gospel of John, the glorification of Jesus always means one thing, and that's cross and resurrection. And what you see, actually, in, in the story, in John 11, as you read it, is that Jesus' act of giving Lazarus life sets off a string of political events that leads to Jesus' death. Um, people get worried that Jesus will cause too much of a commotion, and the Romans will come in and uh, quash a rebellion, destroy the temple and land of, of the Jews. By giving Lazarus life, Jesus gives his own life. That's why this is a sign.
but it means that even if we die, we will live. It means, friends, that we can live toward God with faith and without fear, even as we face death, because God's love is stronger than death. In the name of God's love is Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. In a moment, as we continue our worship, there will be people to pray with you um, on the sides of the sanctuary. And part of what Jesus wants from us is to trust that he is the resurrection and the life. He asks Martha, do you believe this? And it's a difficult thing to believe. We might have it in our head, but we need to also hold it in our hearts and feel it in our gut. If you need that kind of trust right now, ask God to give it to you. Because God will.